Welcome to the Behind the Bits podcast. Your host, Scott Curtis, wants to learn everything he can about stand-up comedy and take you along for the ride. Scott and his guests talk serious about comedy in every episode. Behind the Bits will uncover knowledge from different perspectives on subjects such as writing and performing stand-up comedy, as well as booking shows and the comedy life. If you're thinking about becoming a stand-up comic, already in the comic game, or a comedy nerd, Behind the Bits is the show for you. Now, let's get Behind the Bits. Hey, BTB buddies, if you know me, you know I like podcasts, and there's a couple podcasts that I never miss an episode. One of them is called Classic Conversations, and it's hosted by Jeff Dwoskin. Now, in full transparency, I have to tell you that Jeff is a friend of mine, but even if I didn't like Jeff, I'd still listen to the podcast. I mean, I listen to Marin's podcast, and I don't really like him. Anywho, the Classic Conversations podcast is like the ultimate pop culture podcast. Jeff is a pop culture geek like you've never seen before, and he talks about all aspects of pop culture from TV to movies to books to music to comedy. I mean, he's got everything. It's a great podcast. Jeff does his research and has a great conversation with everybody he talks to. He's had people on like Bernie Coppell, Doc from the Love Boat, Paul Mercurio, one of the greatest comedians out there, Marion Ross and Anson Williams from Happy Days. Yep, he got them. Will Wheaton. Okay, everybody loves to hear Will Wheaton talk, and he has one of the best Will Wheaton interviews out there. Classic Conversations is on all the apps, and he also throws in Crossing the Streams, which is where he gets some buddies and talks about some of the great TV that's out there on the streaming service. Crossing the Streams is great. I've been on it a couple times, and he puts out kind of a digest of it. Let me tell you, listen to that and find shows that you didn't know about that you definitely want to watch. Classic Conversations is on all the apps and is one of my favorite podcasts. So check it out. Type in classic conversations in your favorite podcast app, smash that subscribe button and tell Jeff I sent you. Hey, BTV buddies. My guest today is Linda Marcus Smith. Linda started comedy later in life after serving in the army and sustaining a debilitating brain injury. After being estranged from her daughter, Linda felt hopeless and needed something to get her out of bed every day. Fortunately for the comedy community, she chose stand-up. Since then, Linda has moved to Las Vegas and is a huge supporter of the comedy scene there, along with all the comedians she's met. Linda's YouTube channel, The Comic Spot, has nearly a thousand interviews with comedians who are up and coming, along with some of the greats like Sinbad and Tom Dreesen. Linda has a very compelling story, and I think you'll be inspired. It's a good one. Here's Linda. Linda, how are you? Great. How are you, my friend? I'm fabulous. I am totally fabulous. My uh, day job was a little bit stressful, but now I get to do this, and that's a lot more fun. So I am very, very happy to do this. Absolutely. I'm so glad you said that you're excited about who your guest is tomorrow. That made me feel real comfortable. <laughs> 
my audio comes out tomorrow. So that's that's what I normally go with is what, what the audio is because the video doesn't do that much. But yeah, I'm really excited to have you on the show. And we, we discussed a little bit before we got going that you're a Las Vegas resident. Have you been in Vegas all your life? No, I was born and raised in Portland, Oregon. I've lived here in October. I will have lived here three years. Okay. Did you so... Did you go from, did you start your comedy career in the Portland scene then? No, I started my comedy career in 2014 in Murrieta, California at Ace's Comedy Club. Oh, cool, cool. Because I was suicidal. Well, I'm, I'm sorry you were suicidal, but I'm glad it brought you to comedy. Yeah, I didn't want to live without my daughter in my life, but we needed a break. And so I called up the comedy club. I said, I don't want to live without my daughter in my life. Teach me comedy. And I mean today. Uh -huh. So they did. That's great. Now, who, who was it? Okay, you call the comedy club. Who was it that brought you in and taught you comedy from that? Rocky Osborne. Rocky Osborne. So was he like the resident comedy teacher for the club? He was the comedy club owner, and he had a team of comedians that would come in the club all day long. And when they did, if anybody was sitting there, they were instructed to go over and help them write jokes. Okay. So let's break this down. I mean, you are at the lowest point in your life. I mean, if you're suicidal, you're at the lowest point in your life. What was it that made you think that comedy might ease the pain a little bit? I don't know that I really thought it through at the moment and have a specific true answer about that. Mm -hmm. All I knew is that without my daughter in my life, I didn't want to live. And I needed something big to focus on mm -hmm. that maybe could make other people laugh if they're having a hard time. I always made people laugh. Mm -hmm. You know, I made a, a Buckingham Palace guard who was on duty laugh. I made an East German border guard laugh through binoculars. We uh -huh. both had binoculars. You know, it's like I went to a comedy club and there was a comedian up there, Hispanic guy, and he was bombing. And instead of just bombing gracefully, he was like talking into the mic and he was like, oh God, I'm bombing. Oh, I'm going to kill myself. He was saying what he was thinking into the mic. And when he said he was going to kill himself, I said, just make fun of us Jews. <laughs> <laughs> and then the next week I was there, you know, I think maybe I should be on stage. <laughs> oh, that's great. So you, you get some help from the comedy club and you get on stage the first time. What was that like? Scary. It was scary. Mm -hmm. I had... Looking back, I had nothing but wordplay and puns and outdated references. So I was a real hit. And, <laughs> and, and I was standing in line, and the guy ahead of me, I, you know, I struck up a conversation. And I said, what do you do? Because everybody in comedy does something else, you know. Right. And he said, I'm a psychic. And I said, all right, well, what he said, he was a psychic medium. And I said, okay, what do you see around me? And he said, your dad. 
And I said, okay, well, what about my mother? And he says, she refuses to talk. Oh. Uh, you know something. You know something. <laughs> <laughs> so you talked a little bit about, you know, kind of doing some of the outdated references and things like that. I've I've been through that myself. It's It's funny. You don't know that some of the things that you've done have been done before until either somebody tells you or you start studying comedy a little bit and you see that they've actually been done and it's yeah. it's really it's eye-opening and it's kind of sad it's happened to me a few times where i've done something that is has been played out so many times they haven't done it for 30 years so it doesn't need to it doesn't need to come back but and <laughs> and going through that i mean i've watched some of your more recent sets that are on your youtube channel and it seems like you blossomed from that to somebody who is like a force to be reckoned with on stage so wow. so that had to have been a journey so you go from being let's let's and i'm not calling you a hat comic but i i, I was a hat comic when i started so you go from being what would be considered a hat comic to somebody who is i want to say using your age to your advantage because you you do a lot of good age-related humor so doing some of the callbacks or references to what the kids are saying these days i've heard af a couple times and all that so i you're you're really mixing it up which is very similar to what i do what did it take for you to get from that amateur comic level up to the point where you are now a lot of rejection a lot of times where i've almost been arrested trying to do volunteer comedy <laughs> for marginalized groups of people uh-huh a whole nother talk show. The thing that catapulted me from crummy to where I'm at now is, you know, I, I'm, I'm proud to say I'm humble. Uh-huh. <laughs> you know, I don't talk about myself in elevated terms, but the thing that got me to where I'm at today is that I went and interviewed people on the street. No uh -huh. camera, just me asking and I, in Philadelphia is a great place to ask strangers questions because Philadelphians, they love to talk and they uh -huh. never shut up. <laughs> and they'll tell you. <laughs> and so I asked for a whole day. I went up to strangers in Philadelphia and I said, when you look at me, what do you see? What are you thinking? If I went on stage to do comedy, what would you want me to talk about? And what would you not want me to talk about? Uh -huh. And that's how I developed who I am today. So what kind of notes did you get from those conversations? That's fascinating. I've never heard anybody do that before. Yeah. People were telling me, when I see you, I think of my grandmother, or I think of somebody that doesn't know what us young people are going through. Uh -huh. I asked every age group, you know, millennials all the way up to seniors, and I focused in on the young people because all my comedy career, uh, all eight years of it, uh -huh. <laughs> it, I kept losing the young people. And so I literally, in Portland, Oregon, I started doing sit-ups during my comedy set <laughs> just to have the 
so I could do my five minute set while I'm doing sit ups, <sighs> and that's the only way. And then I, I they knew I was going to ask a trivia question at the end, and somebody would win something that I had fished out of a dipsy dumpster. Uh huh. <laughs> that's the only way I could get young people to listen. <laughs> A lot of rejection. Yeah. So thinking about, I, you know, the, the, this is really interesting to me because, you know, you're, you're in a place where you're very vulnerable and yet you are going into a business that just eats up vulnerable people like nobody's business. I don't think any other business is as tough on the people who are, who participate as comedy. And did you, did you ever have any times in, in this eight years that you just said, maybe I don't want to do this anymore? About twice a day. Okay. <laughs> I, I'm telling you, it's been rough. I have a brain injury from a drunk driver I have a lot of depression, uh -huh. but the thing, the thing that gets me through the roughest times is that <laughs> something rougher. Okay, so like my parents, they survived the Holocaust. Mm -hmm. They came to America. All they did most of the time, they were useless as parents. Let's be <laughs> honest. They were useless. <laughs> they were staring out into the ozone and trying to debrief because there was no debriefing. Uh -huh. They weren't capable and they weren't in the moment. And so I was always delegated in my family, self-delegated to be the one to try to get them to laugh. Uh -huh. And so life is so crappy that I always am looking for the funny, you know, and that I've just always done that to try to make my parents smile or laugh or not be sad. And I figure if I'm going through all this garbage because of my daughter and I separating, mm -hmm. that maybe if I focus on hurting people out there that need to laugh, I can be some good to the world. Mm -hmm. And you know what happened is when I started, when I hyper-focused, on my passion to make others laugh, all my fear goes away. Uh -huh. You can get the jitters, but if you get the jitters and then you refocus on what's your focus, what what are you doing this for? Your jitters go away. Yeah. And you've got such a great energy. I never would have thought Thank by you. what I see on stage and, and when I see you, you know, talking to other comedians for your interviews, I would never have thought that you have gone through what you went through. And, and it's, and that's, that's really a sign of a very good comedian, because I mean, you know, this because in our business, it is what the feelings that you have of depression and, and things like that, that's, that's fairly common. It's not, it's not all of us, but it's probably 80% of us. And some of us are better than others at turning that off and turning on the funny when they get on stage. And I, I just think you have a really great presence out there to where I would never have thought that you 
are going through the things that you go through. Thank you. Yeah, I mean, you know, I wasn't wanted from birth. I was, you know, I grew up being told I wasn't wanted by my dad. And so I, you know, I was a terrible child. I was acting out because I wasn't wanted. And then after my mother passed away, I found out how much I was wanted, but I was being probed. So I have seen so much of what hate and ugliness can do. Uh-huh. And I want, when people listen to me, I want that all the hate to disappear and then just to, you know, I just want to bring joy and I want to live it. I don't want to fake it on stage. I really want to be, when you meet me at the grocery store or at the bus stop, I want you to forget pain and just have joy. Mm-hmm. And you mentioned that you will pretty much do stand up where anybody will have you or where even they won't have. What are some of the unusual places that you decided that they needed some humor and you just decided to do do part of your act for them? Well, I would say that if you're thinking of doing comedy at a battered woman's shelter, think again. <laughs> I went in there and started talking about military sexual traumas and PTSD. (laughs) Don't do it. Not do it. That was a really bad choice. I didn't get arrested or kicked out, but, you know, I had a couple girls who were freshly battered (laughs) come up to me afterwards and say, that's not funny to us. Well, you know, mine was like in 1973 to 76. So yeah. I can laugh. About, I want to help them, but they're not ready for it. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's the unfortunate too soon type scenario. But uh, the funny thing is, is even when you think it's too soon for some people, they do need that laugh. And I, you know, I would think somebody knowing that somebody else went through it so many years ago and it still affects them, but they can at least look back and laugh at it. I I would think that would be a source of some strength. Can I tell you the most heart rendering scenario that has happened to me? Yeah. Okay. I don't know if you saw the news clip from KGW TV about veteran that finds peace. I I didn't see that one. Okay. Well, so <laughs> I volunteer. Where do I start? I, I'll tell. I'll tell the whole thing. I go to my. I'm a veteran. And I go to the Portland VA, and I said, "Hi, I know I'm a psych patient because I have a brain injury, but I'm also a Portland comic. So let me tell jokes." That didn't work. Hmm, I wonder what I did wrong. <laughs> so. I went back, and uh, every month I went back asking and asking and asking. And they kept telling me, take a hike. And then one time it was that month, that suicide prevention month, October or whatever. Mm -hmm. And I went in and I said, I did a Columbo on them. I said, so let me get this straight. It's suicide prevention month, and you don't think maybe one joke could save one life? <laughs> <laughs> I, 
all the doors in the back of the office opened simultaneously and they were throwing business cards at me to uh -huh. shut me <laughs> <laughs> They sent me over. They said, we don't want you to do it here because too many top brass come in the main building. Mm -hmm. God forbid we should make veterans happy and get caught doing <laughs> it. So go over to Vancouver, Washington, and go tell jokes. This is where it gets complicated. Go tell jokes to volunteers who have to come in on their day off to hear you say something that's been posted on the wall the whole week. <laughs> <laughs> and so I was sitting there and for five weeks. This is what I had, a whole round table full of this. Yeah. And so I told the guy that, you know, volunteer services, I said, this isn't working. And so, so then I went to a couple other buildings on my own and I said, could I tell, and I wound up weekly going into what's called Park Place Apartments. It's an apartment building on the, the fort, Fort Vancouver in, in Vancouver, uh -huh. every week telling jokes to veterans that want to be there. Oh, my God. And then I get a phone call. We don't need you to come in next week. And I'm like, that's weird. Why? And they said, we had a stabbing. And one of the inmates, one of the residents, inmates, one of them stabbed three of the others to death. Ooh. Yeah. And so I'm crying. I'm beside... I probably know the killer. I probably know the victims, you know? And so I was just crying and crying, you know, and I get a call a couple weeks later. Okay, you can come back in now. And I'm like, whoa, 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 whoa. I, I'm going to bring in the news crew for some backup. I want some camera. <laughs> so I called my friends at the news crew because they like to me that's a whole nother talk show <laughs> and so they send an nfl quarterback who's injured who's now a reporter uh -huh. to interview me and they make a whole it's supposed to be a story about the victims of stabbings and they turn it into a story about me willing to do comedy anywhere yeah <laughs> So it's a crazy. It's been a crazy eight years. Yeah, that's crazy. That, that's. I mean, that's a great story. And one of the things I get from that is, first of all, you're always looking for different ways to get up and do your comedy. But you, I mean, it takes a lot of guts to continually ask folks, "Hey, can I can I do comedy here? Can 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 we do a show here?" And getting a lot of no's. Did you, did you consider yourself a kind of a forceful person before you got into comedy, or did this come around after you got into it? I've never been forceful. I made it through the military by the skin of my teeth. Uh -huh. You know, I tried through basic training. I No, oh, only when I came into my element, which is humor, did I have any confidence. Mm -hmm. And... How many, 
how many people have shot you down for asking to do a show at their place? A lot. Uh-huh. I did comedy weekly in Manhattan at the VA hospital in the outpatient psych ward because I want the most hurting people. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, this is nothing new because in high school, I used to skip school and go watch court trials. So oh. I've always, you know, if, you, if I'm at a party, I'm looking for the most hurting person to talk to, to cheer them up. Yeah. So that... No, like it's no, it's just who I am. Yeah. I look, I, I, I can walk through a town and I will find myself where the most hurting people are. That's, I mean, that's very admirable. And you seem like somebody who could probably carry on a conversation with just about anybody. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. It's true. And that's, that's, that's a gift because it's, you know, personally me, it's, it's hard for me to carry on a conversation with somebody that I don't know. And doing it like this is definitely different than doing it in real life. So that's a very admirable trait. Now, taking, taking that on stage and being part of a comedy community there in Vegas, you know, you are, you know, Vegas is a pretty thriving town for stand up. It's, you know, it's not, it's not, LA or New York, but you know, they, there's a lot of opportunity to do stand up there. How did you ingratiate yourself with the comedy community there and get them to accept you? First of all, because it's, it's always when you go to a new scene, it's, you got to get accepted and then also have them, I don't know, be, be close enough to you that they could give you notes and, and on your act and actually be a friend to you. How did you get, get into that community? Well, I don't know if you know the name Stephen Pearl from Long Island, but he used to travel with Sam Kinison and Robin Williams, and he's a local comic. Uh-huh. He's a legend. And we had chatted on Facebook, like you do, mm. and he invited me to come and come to his birthday party October 2019. So I came, and it was at the Laugh Factory. And everybody in the green room was my age and heterosexual. And I'm like, what? This is so different than Portland. (laughs) What am I doing in Portland? I'm dying. That's what I'm doing. So I decided to move to Vegas. And, you know, when Stephen Pearl is behind you, then people at, you know, his level or, you know, he got me on at the Tickle Me Club and, told me a couple people to hit up and he didn't vouch for me. He made me do the work. Mm -hmm. And this is a wonderful, if you are authentically who you are, Vegas wraps their arms around you. If you're going to come and try to fake it, like you're doing the work or you want to, you know, sure you can get in the groups that, you know, just don't take their work seriously for whatever that means. But Mm -hmm. If they see that you're really trying to the best that you can, then this is the most I've ever been accepted anywhere for my comedy, aside from New York. But who can afford to live in New York? Nobody. In New York? <laughs> yeah, I, 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 I'm I, in Huntsville, Alabama, and the cost oh, of living good. is much lower. <laughs> 
Yeah, I'm about ready to come to Huntsville. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> My rent just went up 50 bucks. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah, it's and it's the as far as housing and rent and stuff like that, Huntsville's blowing up, so it's pretty expensive to to at least get an abode, but groceries are a little bit cheaper and so is gas, but you know, every, every all all the major things are still pretty expensive. So, thinking about you being in Vegas and working with all these more, I guess, more established comedians like Mr. Paul and stuff like that. Do you, did that really up your game as far as writing is concerned? Did you, did you say, okay, I gotta, I, I gotta get better now. And did you start really honing in on your act and doing more writing because of that? I have taken my writing a lot more seriously and I've I've gone through more coaches than Carter has liver pills <laughs> trying to find one that fits me but you know I I think that it's just been the trajectory to where I've gotten really serious about writing. I don't think Vegas made me write more or be but I'll tell you there's Here's the thing in Vegas. Let's let's say a number. Let's say there's 500 comedians in Vegas. Mm -hmm. There's probably 1500, but let's say 500. Half of them are legends. I mean, everybody you meet that does comedy has credits and been in the business since the 60s, 70s, 80s, 90s, you know. Mm -hmm. Who am I to get booked? You know, and yes, you know, I I have goals. I'd love to open for Kathleen Dunbar on the strip. Who wouldn't, you know? Uh -huh. Am I good enough, you know? So, yeah, I think to some degree Vegas has because of my goals. In Portland, I would say I was dying with small goals, and Vegas makes you have bigger goals. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. That makes sense. What what was it that prompted you to start interviewing other comedians? Well, I have to give the credit to Harvey's Comedy Club in Portland, Oregon. Okay. Because everybody that would come into Harvey's, I'd be sitting at the bar drinking my club soda, and all the patrons thought that I owned the club. Okay. Because, you know, like I have this personality and I don't shut up and <laughs> so they just thought I was the owner and so the club said everybody thinks you're the owner why don't you just start making people feel comfortable when they come in and, and then it grew why don't you go down to Pioneer Square the town square and do an, an open mic for the tourists why don't you host an open mic here and then the, the big one, why don't you interview all the headliners that come through? Whoa, uh, whoa, 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 whoa. Not anything but that. <laughs> so they had me interviewing. My first interview was with a movie star, not even a comic. They just dumped it on me. I'm sitting in the, in the bar, just sitting there drinking club soda. And then this movie star comes in. I don't know, Ian Michael Ian Black. Okay, yeah. He comes in, and I'm supposed to know what to say to him. This is my, and then I got to interview Julie Scoggins that night, uh -huh. and 
And that was awesome because she's also a military veteran, does military comedy tours. I was, that was so great, you know. And so I did like 36 interviews up till 2019 at Harvey's. And then I, I asked Vegas clubs, hey, who can let me be an interviewer at your club? And they're like, whoa, 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 you just got to town, you know. <laughs> I'm like, yeah, but I did it in Portland. Nope, nope. Nobody let, not a club has, no. I want to be an interviewer for a club. I don't care if it's in Huntsville, Alabama. Yeah. <laughs> you know, because we got Zoom. Anyway, so yep. the pandemic hit. Oh, now I'm depressed again. I got to do something bigger. So <laughs> I... <laughs> So I opened up my laptop and I called a comedian on Zoom and she was visibly depressed and I was visibly depressed. And by the time we got done with the Zoom call, we both had cheered up. Uh And you know how how I am. Man, I went to town when everybody was so depressed and worried about money and their career not being essential. I was dialing up numbers I was, I was interviewing 10 and 12 people a day just because I didn't want anybody to kill themselves. Uh-huh. <laughs> and then it hit a certain number. You know, at some point you're at 300, 500. Why stop? But who can keep up that pace? Oh, no, <laughs> n- nobody can. I mean, the pace I do of one a week, one interview a week coming out and doing a couple interviews a day sometimes, that's enough. It's, it's, it's hard to talk for that long. <laughs> it is yeah well i lose i i end up losing my voice if i talk for too long my voice just starts to go and i i could be completely healthy and my voice just goes because that's just it's just what i deal with but i in talking to all these folks i mean you got to reach out to people you didn't know and it's it's very similar to our situation you didn't know me i contacted you out of the blue and you were doing the same thing did you make did you make some friends and relationships through that that stuck around? Yes. You know, like the people that I interviewed in Portland, Oregon, like Jeff Richards, who did the, the drunk girl skit for Saturday Night Live. Mm-hmm. He's now become a good buddy. You know, like I'll tell him I'm thinking about doing an impression. He'll tell me how to do it. Uh-huh. You know, Shang Forbes. I don't know if you know that talent out West, but. You know, like anytime I need him to be on here, he'll come on. Uh-huh. Alonzo Bowden, you know, anytime I got Alonzo, you can't get him on for frivolous stuff, but if you have a cause that he's aligned with, he's there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Alonzo's a great guy. He's on my list to be on my show. So if you wouldn't mind putting a good word in, that would be fantastic. I will. <laughs> he's very nice. How much Ian how- Edwards, boy, I'll tell you, Ian Edwards is a good interview to get, and he's very serious. Uh huh. I'm writing his name down because I I know him, but I haven't approached him yet. Yeah, he's I'm taking awesome. a lot of notes from this one, Linda. Good. <laughs> you can tell everybody that I said that you should interview them. I'm really impressed with you. Yeah. Well, thank you. Thank you. Now. Just like, let, let's let's talk 
podcaster to podcaster here just like in the comedy area podcasting is difficult because you get a lot of rejection there or completely ignored how many times did you either get rejected or just completely ignored when you reached out to somebody okay so let's let's go back to portland oregon for a second uh-huh. see this <laughs> all the podcasters in portland oregon this is to you. Thanks for ignoring me. <laughs> Thanks for never having me on your shows. <laughs> I hope you're eating my dust. Here's one from me too. There you go. <laughs> you know, I had so many people give me excuses why I couldn't be on their podcast and why, why, you know, and, and then the rejection, I invite probably 10 people a day. You know, mm -hmm. I'm always cranking out the invites mm -hmm. and I get very little back and I've interviewed 937, whatever it is. And out of that, I'm lucky to have 350 subscribers. I mean, the rejection is unreal. Yeah. <laughs> and, but I just focus on, okay, that's all stuff that could get me down. And what am I trying to do and why am I trying to do it? Mm. I want I want the people, not the comics, people to know who comics are. Mm. That's my goal. Because I've gone to a comedy club and said, yeah, they got one at 7.30, let's go. And then you go, guy, I didn't like that guy. I didn't like his comedy. I didn't like, you know, and you can go and look stuff up on YouTube, but an interview really... You know, oh, that guy is really nice. He's talking to Linda nice. He's smart, you know, articulate. You And then you go, you know, i got a lot in common. I like Dalmatians too, you know. Uh. The, the stuff that comes out makes, gets them new fans. Right, yeah. There, that's, yeah. That's it. There's, there's definitely nothing wrong with it. And, you know, I, when I approach people, to be on the show. I, it's funny because I, like you, I've had some pretty high profile people and you know, yes, you when, when you get a few of those, you get a, you, your reputation points go up a little bit and then people who actually look at it, see that and they'll come on. But then I still get folks that are, you know, they're, I, I don't want to say that they're lower echelon or anything like that, but they're, they're not as famous as some of the people I've had on. And I don't know, and I'm sure you can't answer it either. I don't know why they don't want to do it, but it's, it's something that can't hurt because if you get one fan out of an interview, that I think that's worth it. Absolutely. You know, like, I don't understand why people make choices that don't help their career. Yeah. I don't understand it. Right. Now, you, I'll let anybody interview me anywhere about any, like I'm an open book and also I'm an open slate. Like you have me come on. I don't care if you want me to do jumping jacks. Yeah. <laughs> I can't do them, but yeah. <laughs> well, that's not necessary for today's talk. So <laughs> you practice and maybe we'll get together again. We'll just do the jumping jack show. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> now you, you do get to see, and, and Vegas is, one thing I like about Vegas is there's, 
something for everybody there. And there's, you know, there's from the youngest comics all the way up to all the veterans. And you get to see so many different types of comedy. Have you, in, in watching comedy, have you been able to, and I don't want to say emulate other comedians, but have you gotten some like moments of inspiration that that made you say, "Oh, I want to do this now," and and change your act up a little bit? And if you have, can you kind of give some examples of what those were? Absolutely, sure. When I first, not regarding Vegas, but when I first decided to do comedy, Rocky Osborne helped me get some jokes. Mm -hmm. Then I didn't know anything about comedy, and I'm a woman, I'm older. So I went and Googled all the women of a certain age doing comedy, and I found Rita Rudner and Wendy Liebman. Okay. That's two good ones. Yeah, I studied, and my all-time favorite, all-time bar none is Gracie Allen. Yeah. <laughs> Love that. And, you know, and so I take a lot of inspiration from their pre- their presence on stage, their patience with the delivery mm-hmm. and the jokes. And then, like, here in Vegas, I mean, in Portland, I didn't have anybody to emulate because I'm old, white, and straight, and... You know, I that's not real bookable in Portland, Oregon. Mm-hmm. And besides, my comedy wasn't that good there, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> but now I've been working on my comedy. And, you know, like, I go and watch comedians, male, female, anything in between, anything, any, any gender. Everybody has something to teach you, you know? Mm-hmm. Like, there's this one guy with a southern accent. Can you imagine... A guy, <laughs> <laughs> and he he owns the stage. He marches back and forth during effective use of using the stage. Uh-huh. He's here in Vegas with a southern drawl, killing it. And I, so I'm, I'm saying, everybody has something they can teach me. Mm. And so he owns the stage. And then another guy comes on, and he he. Barry Corcoran, I couldn't remember the other guy's name, but Barry Corcoran comes on stage and he looks like he's 12 and blonde hair. He looks innocent and he comes on stage and he takes the mic and he goes, yeah, so uh, I've had sex. <laughs> it's hilarious. Yeah. <laughs> what can you take from that? You uh-huh. know, like it's such an abbreviated way of saying, I know I look like as if, you know, he just like so yeah, I've had sex. <laughs> brevity. He has brevity and personality, you know, like everybody has something they can teach you. Yeah, I I agree with that. Now being where you are, you get to see a lot of the very, very green newbies. You get to see the ones that are just they're back where you were eight years ago. And yes. And, and you know some of them just aren't going to make it. You, you, I mean, you can 
you can pretty much tell that this is something they're just trying for a bet or a dare or something like that. And then you see the ones that really have a spark and look like, you know, something could happen. I mean, they're not, they're not a superstar now, but something could happen. Um, What, what advice would you give somebody that's brand new to it and wants to get better quicker? Well, if you, if I'm not specific to what they need to work on and just in general to Mm. a new person, I would say that don't fall into the trap that you need to be on stage every night, three times a night, you Mm. know, make it about quality, not quantity. Mm. So go up, and go home and do your homework and study your video t- and your audio. Mm. Look at your look at your tape with your eyes, then look at it with your eyes closed, and you're going to hear two different things. And make adjustments. Don't have so many videotapes that you never look at any of them. You're not learning a darn thing. Mm-hmm. You know, going to mics is great for hobnobbing and. People will do you favors because they see you show up. But if you're showing up and you're never getting better, that's a a negative. If you go up on stage one-third the time that other people are and you're studying twice as much or you're the only one studying, you're going to surpass them. Mm. But don't try to... Don't try to do things better than others. Just try to do the best that you can do, and you will flourish. Mm-hmm. And there's room for everybody. Don't look around and go, why are they getting booked and I'm not? Why are they getting laughs and I'm not? Why are they? I don't like their style. of co- Mind your own business. Stay in your own lane. Do your homework and dare to be yourself. Mm-hmm. As you know, when you get to a certain age, you have the, you've really got two paths. You can get set in your ways and decide that you are going to sit in front of the TV and not do anything with the rest of your life, or you decide you want to do something. And a lot of, I see a lot of folks that are, you know, we're boomers and and a lot of folks are deciding that they don't want to be set in their ways. They want to get out and do things and learn things. And a lot of them are getting into stand up. Have you seen any folks that come around in, in your area that have kind of shown that and actually did well? Yes. We've got a lady here in Vegas. She's just killing it. I think she's been in comedy three years, Donna Joy. Uh-huh. And she's a regular with Don Barnhart's things, and she's just blowing up. Uh-huh. She has tight jokes, funny, a lot about being older, some about remembering the good old days sexually. Just great fun. Uh-huh. Great, you know, you're just enthralled by what she gonna she's gonna say next. That's great. And it's it's really cool. There's one advantage that we have is we we do fill a demographic that sometimes needs filled in shows. <laughs> 
sometimes sometimes they need that person that's that's close to or at the point where they could be getting social security just so that they could talk to that part of the audience and that that's definitely have you been booked on shows just because you filled you filled the demographic no i think i've been booked in in spite of the demographic oh okay okay what happens with me is like people will see me go up on stage and they're like oh no not a baby boomer and then by the time i'm done they love me as a baby boomer comic uh-huh. but but the, when i can tell when they call my name and they they're like her we don't want to listen to her but i turn that around and you know i'm not saying i kill but I just get up there to love them and show them that I'm not there to whatever they have as a preconceived notion as a baby boomer doesn't care about them, doesn't listen, thinks we're better than them. By the time I get done, they know that's not the case. Mm-hmm. I, I think all. you're right in that. I, th- I feel like, you know, also I've turned a few minds around as, as well. And, and, and the fact is, is, you know, we're pretty much the same as the millennials. We're just older and we've already been through that part of our life. <laughs> there's, there's not a whole lot of differences except for the circumstances and, and the fact that we didn't have the internet and we could, we could buy a pack of cigarettes for 50 cents. <laughs> Sometimes I'll go up on stage, might've heard this joke, but I'll say, I'll look around if it's all young people, I'll say, so I'm a baby boomer. You know what that means? That means I'm that group of people that you want to do curl-ups. And they just stare at you. And I go, oh, wait. You want us to curl up and die already? (laughs) (laughs) Not going to do it. (laughs) That's great. That's great. Now, looking back on your career so far, what would you say are three things that you wish that you know now that you wish you would have known when you started? It's a lot more difficult than just slinging jokes. Mm -hmm. Like if you, I think that the worst thing you can do is say, Oh, you're so funny. You should go on. I think we should say you're so funny. Now this isn't for everybody. It's a lot of work. Mm-hmm. Oh, you'd be right. I've got a bucket behind me. Let me show you. <laughs> Can you see that bucket? Yeah. It's full of jokes. And none of them are good enough to be in my set. Okay. <laughs> you know, and that, that's, you know that's really cool to have a physical, to have a physical vessel of of the shit that doesn't work. (laughs) And on top of that, I threw out 38 pounds of jokes in Philadelphia after talking to all of those strangers telling me what they don't want me to say. Uh Uh-huh. Uh-huh. That's great. (laughs) You have to write so much to get anything worth saying on stage. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And people don't know that. They just go... Oh, my friends love me and they say I should do comedy. And and we go, yeah, you should try it. I think we should say, okay, let me just tell you something. That's awesome, but that's your 
friends yeah. and they know the fifth grade teacher's name is Mrs. Smith. So when you just say her name, they're laughing. Right. Yeah. You know, so the, it's such a big difference. Yeah. And they the friends, they get attracted to comedy, but the commitment of comedy is something totally different. It is. It is. And, and so many of the, the friends things are such inside jokes that they just don't really translate to taking it on the stage. And it, um, unfortunately, they have to go on stage a couple times to learn that. And then the, another thing we should be telling people is, okay, you, you're going to have jokes, and they probably won't all gel, and you won't know who you are and your persona and all that. For 10 years. You sure you want to do this? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's it's definitely a long haul. It's, it's most definitely a long haul. So, Linda, what do you have going on? You know, what are you doing in Vegas? You know, what kind of sh shows are coming up for you? Well, tonight, every Tuesday and Wednesday, I'm committed to being at Wise Guys at their open mics. Okay to see the new talent, to figure out who I want to interview, who's the up and coming, and then to get on stage. And hopefully, you know, like I've hosted a couple times, I'm looking forward to doing a guest spot for a real show there. You know, mm -hmm. I'm hobnobbing and schmoozing at Wise Guys on Tuesdays and Wednesdays. And then tonight at 18 Bin, it's a bar. Mm -hmm. It packs out every Tuesday at 8 o'clock. I got to be on a show with some really good talent here in Vegas. I'm so excited. The headliner, the feature and the headliner are so good. Jay Monet Holman is from Philly. Mm -hmm. And Jay Devan is a Vegas comic. He's the headliner. I, I get to be on a show with them. I'm like, this is heaven. Yeah. <laughs> That's great. That's great. And then June 25th, I have a Zoom. I do a Zoom monthly show that I send out to the military and to veteran places. And this month, my June 25th military show is a fundraiser for Jay Risk, who's a comedian that's hopefully not dying of cancer and heart disease. Mm -hmm. And it's a fundraiser to help him with his finances. And I have 42 comics on that fundraiser. It's going to be four and a half hours of free comedy. Come in, leave, come back. We don't care. Uh -huh. <laughs> Just come and donate and help Jay raise some money. Well, that's great. And good for you for organizing things like that because, you know, the problem with comedians is oftentimes when they do get sick is they just don't have anything to lean on, no insurance or anything like that to help get them through. Yeah. Boy, just I know her family, for them to have – insurance is like 1800 um no 800 a month and a ten thousand dollar a year before the copay kicks in wow so who knows what jay's scenario is but yeah. you know we're all a family mm. and i love doing if anybody has a good fundraiser let me know yeah. i enjoy them yeah, that's great. That's great. And where can folks find you on the internet? I've got your website down here, comedybylindamarcusmith.com. But do you have like a Instagram, Facebook presence, Twitter, all that? Yes, I've got all of it. 
Facebook, Instagram, TikTok are all Linda Marcus Smith. Twitter, I started long before, and it's called Clot Info. I was putting out information about blood clots, Uh hereditary blood clots. And so it's still Clot Info, and that's how I found Sinbad. Oh, cool. Because he used to talk to me on Twitter and MySpace. MySpace. Okay, now now we're aging ourselves. (laughs) Yeah, that that Sinbad interview was very good. By the way, I watched I watched that and it was very very good. Sinbad's a great guy. It's so hard to make Sinbad look bad. It is. Yeah. Well, I tried. Yeah, it's because he's a good guy. Well, thank you so much for being on the show today. It was great to get to know you, and you know we got we turned this around pretty quick from the time I asked you. And you know, I I always appreciate folks that are willing to spend some time with me, so I can learn from you, and the folks that listen can also learn. I I wish you the best of luck in everything you do, and and good for you for for all the stuff you do as far as the fundraising and just just being out there and being a cheerleader for other comics. Thank you. 